0: Hi there, welcome and thanks for tuning in to the Going Up, Going Down podcast. Today's episode is the first of a spin-off series. It's called EFL Completed. It's brought to you by The Athletic. I'm Ali Maxwell and I'm joined by George Ellick. George, what
1: have we got to look forward to? Yes, this is very exciting. Some of you may have listened to the Not The Top 20 Meet series where we speak to managers in the EFL, but this time we are stepping it up for speaking to those players who have completed the EFL, who've played in all four leagues, from League Two up into League One, into the Championship, and then the promised land of the Premier League. And today, for the first ever episode, we are talking to Connor Howrahan, who started his career, his first team career at least at Plymouth in League Two, moved up into League One with Barnsley into the championship, then to Villa, where he is now a Premier League player.
0: It's been amazing to hear connor's story and we hope you'll enjoy this podcast if you do please subscribe to this podcast feed for all future interviews and for past going up going down episodes as well join the athletic today by heading to theathletic.co.uk forward slash efl pod that will get you 40 percent off your annual subscription now for the main event. Thanks to Conor Harrahan for being the first guest on EFL Completed. Conor, how are you getting on?
2: Hi, guys. How are you doing?
0: Thank you so much for joining us, Conor. Now, the focus of this chat is on a journey, is on your journey, Conor. And some people are quite reflective. Some people's characters mean that they gain a lot from, from looking back. Uh, and some people like to look forward and, and only focus on the future. And then there's many people who are kind of in between those two extremes. But before we get going, I'm interested to know, where do you fall within that? Are you someone that looks back a lot on the journey that you've been on, or are you really focused purely on what comes next?
2: I suppose probably, probably focused on what comes next. When I do interviews and kind of podcasts like I'm doing with you today, it's probably um, the only time I probably give myself to reflect. So um, I actually quite enjoy doing them because being the type of guy I am, I'm always kind of focused and determined and, and concentrated on on the next goal or the, the next training session or the next game. But um, sometimes a chat like this is quite good, so it gets you to unwind and reflect really, and um, and and talk about where I where I've been and where I am now.
0: Well, we got plenty of time. We got plenty of time to unwind, reflect, to unpack the Conor Harahan story. We'll start early on. It'd be great to get a, a sort of flavour of your childhood. Uh, yeah, from from West Cork. In fact, West Cork's first ever Premier League footballer. W- what does your hometown mean to you? Can you tell us a bit about your your upbringing, your childhood there in, in Bandon?
2: It means a great deal to me. Um, you know, my mom and dad still live there now. Um, my sister lives there. Um, I've got a brother, but he actually moved over to to London not so long ago, so he's kind of moved out as well. But um, no, it means everything to me. Um, I've never forgotten my roots. I've got great memories, great friends still there now. Um, I go back there whenever I get the chance, mostly summertime when, we, when, our, when we're in our, um, our off-season. Yeah, huge fun memories of there. Played as many sports as I could in all the local clubs, <laughs> um, football club, GA club, rugby club.
0: There's a lot of options in terms of sports to choose from as a youngster in Ireland, isn't
2: there? Yeah, there is, yeah. And listen, I tried them all. Um, absolute sports crazy, sports fanatic. Um, still am now. Um, and like I said, just tried to get my hands on anything I could uh, back then.
0: At what age did you have the sort of light bulb moment with regards to a future as a professional footballer? Like it feels like you were always playing sports, you know, representing the, your region, etc., and kind of moving up the youth ranks. But at what point did it feel obvious to you that that's how you would go?
2: Um, probably in my early teens, really. Probably um maybe around 13 14 something like that um around 13 there's a big tournament in ireland um and every kind of county has a team so it's like a 32 county um under 13 tournament and obviously i was playing for cork at the time and a lot of scouts from around ireland and england come come over because it's the it's the the best kind of irish talent um youngsters at the time and from that tournament i had calls for um for trials from different teams and um I thought to myself, maybe this is an avenue you know, I could go down, there's there's a little bit of interest here and um, yeah, I went for it, I went over to England, uh, a couple of trials or whatever and um, I never looked back really, I never looked back.
0: It sounds like you had plenty of trials back mm-hmm. in the, the, you can sort of find some chatter from back then that there were yeah. lots of top flight clubs including Liverpool, Chelsea, Celtic mm-hmm. as well up in Scotland looking at you. Yeah. Uh, I'm really interested to know, because it's kind of a well-trodden path for young Irish footballers to, to move over to England at a certain point. There's a yeah. lot of, you know, for a, for an English club, there's a, a great value in, in finding the talented Irish players and, and being the club to bring them over first and foremost. But yeah. a, as the player making that move, is there a stigma at all in terms of leaving where you're from, leaving to you know to go across the sea to England, or, or are you encouraged? Like, I'm kind of interested in what sort of advice you get and who's looking after you at that time.
2: I suppose I was fortunate with my mom and dad at the time. You know, um, they supported me in every in every decision I wanted to make. Listen, at the time being a 16 year old, even earlier, 15, kind of before, because you have to make a decision before you move over at 16. You know, I felt that was probably. Uh, a man making decisions, but looking back now, fifteen is is hugely hugely young. You know, it's des- desperately tough to move. Um, some Irish lads really struggle with the move because they're so kind of home orientated. I I just found I found I was lucky. I found the right club at the right time that I really fitted in at and loved it in England. But there's no doubt that the decision was really tough. I remember moving over and. And crying the weekend I moved over and I still remember it to this day and I'll never forget it. But listen, it's all worked out luckily enough for me. There's been a lot, a lot of lads who have made that jump and made that step. And like I said, have gone back through through um homesickness or, or so-called not being good enough there's there's a huge amount of challenges really for for any irish lads french lads whatever it may be there's a huge amount of challenges to come through you know when you move over at that age
0: and so many variables as as you mentioned as to how you make it or whether you do or don't you know so much luck involved the club that you choose yeah. and uh, you know how how much support you have i suppose psychologically as well um lastly on this period you know, we mentioned Liverpool, Chelsea, and Celtic. It was Sunderland. It was the northeast of England that you moved to, and perhaps unsurprisingly, there's a lot written about Roy Keane's role in this, um, because of, of course someone, you know, one of the biggest names in Irish football history, of course, and it, it is said that he personally came to Casa Harrahan to uh, <laughs> to persuade your parents. Is that a, is that a strong memory?
2: Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd narrow it down to a couple of clubs at the time. I was going back and forth to Sunderland a lot, and. I just, I just really, really liked it there for whatever reason. It just felt right. Roy was listening a huge part of that. Um, he was the manager of the football club at the time. Being a hero of mine growing up, I used to go to Old Trafford to watch United, but more to watch him, really, when I was a youngster, you know. And uh, listen, when someone like that, your your childhood hero, comes calling for you and wants you to come over, and obviously Niall Quinn was there at the time who had an influence in our big Irish connection. It was the only place I, w- I probably was going to end up and go, really. I had my heart set on there and away I went, really. and. Uh, yeah, Roy did play a big part in that.
1: You went to Sunderland in 2007, and pretty quickly settled into what was quite a special you set up there as well. Yeah, uh, the the team reaching the the semi-finals of the FA Youth Cup uh, mm-hmm. at number seven. We had Jordan Henderson, at number eight, Jack Colback, at number ten. Martin Waghorn and you, yeah. with number nine on your back at the time as well. <laughs> uh, what was it like growing up and kind of learning your trade in English football around such talented players?
2: Yeah, listen, I was very, very fortunate with the U team I had. Um, there was just a crop of players there that came through at, at the same time. A lot of us have got on to make, you know, Jordan being the exception of a, a, an amazing career. A few of us having half decent careers like myself, Martin Waghorn, Jack Callback. You know, we had Jordan Cook, who was at Grimsby. I'm not sure where he is now. We had uh, Liam Noble, who was at Hartlepool and that's County for a while. So we had a decent crop of players. We had people underneath us then, like Jordan Pickford was there. John Egan was there. So we weren't short of, of talent and players at the time. Um, and it was just amazing to be a part of that group at the right time. Just a
1: word on Henderson, because obviously, as you say, he's got on to... Uh, pretty incredible stuff, both with Liverpool yeah. and with England. Was it obvious playing with him then that he'd gone to have the career he has?
2: Listen, Jordan was hugely, hugely, hugely talented at the time. We actually shared, a, we were at a car school, um, we had a car school together. He used to collect me for my digs every morning. And he's a son and lad, obviously, and yeah, he was just... Um, He's an amazing guy. Um, for anyone that kind of doesn't know him, or you know, just sees this kind of this Liverpool captain, but as a as a man and as a guy, he's just a, a fantastic guy. He's so down to earth and he made huge sacrifices in his career from from early on, really, to to make a big career for himself. And yeah, full credit to him. Nothing but high praise from really. You
1: moved on from Sunderland in 2010, having not made a first team appearance, but uh, they offered you. A new contract to stay at the club, but you were one of the many players who made the move from Sunderland to Ipswich over a couple of years. Following that man, Roy Keane. Again, talk talk us through <laughs> the, the the decision you made. How much of an influence was Keane in deciding to to switch up Sunderland for for Ipswich?
2: Yeah, yeah it was um it was one of them at the time where um at Sunderland, uh, I felt like maybe I was going uh, down a cul de sac, really kind of going nowhere. Struggle. I tried to go out and loan a couple of times, and there was interest from a couple of teams, but it never really came, it Nearly, it always fell through for whatever reason, and I was always searching for that break of first team football, and I thought for some reason that it would happen at Ipswich when they came along, Roy being another influence again, and, and kind of players making that switch at the time, um, from Sunderland to Ipswich, I thought, listen, let's have a go. Um, me being a young, naive 19-year-old at the time, I thought, yeah, I'll get first team football here, but um. Me being a 29 year old now and looking back at a 19 year old Connor, there was no way I was going to play in that first team, you know. Listen, it didn't work out for me there, but I enjoyed my year there. It was a a fantastic club, yeah. It was a decision that, um, you know, I look back on now that, um, it got me to where I am now, I suppose.
1: Roy Keane was sat as manager in January of that one season you spent at Ipswich. Do you think that, you know, because looking at the the other players that came in, Jack Colback had been on loan at Ipswich the year before and had played 35-odd games in the season. So I think we can forgive you for thinking you might have got a chance in the first team. Do do you think (laughs) the pressure that Keane was under may have played a part in the reason why you weren't able to break through?
2: If I'm being brutally honest with you, I probably wasn't ready. You know, me looking back now at the time, I probably felt like, you know, going from Sunderland to Ipswich, dropping a league into the Championship, I'll get some game time and it's kind of the game time I've always wanted. But I was naive to the Championship then as well. You know, me, you know, having played in the Championship for many years now, it's a fantastic league with some fantastic teams, fantastic players, you know. Um, it's a league I've got great fondness for. And I just wasn't, brutally honest, I probably just wasn't ready at the time. You know, like I said, Roy being under pressure probably played a factor in that. If he was in a bit more of a of a comfortable position, I might have got some game time. Who knows? But um, there was many factors um, why I probably didn't play there at the time.
1: We're going to get on to your time now, to happier times at Plymouth. But just a lot. A last question on this, do you think that that awakening that you weren't ready when you dropped down to Ipswich, expecting first-team football, did that prepare mm-hmm. you better for the drop down the leagues that you had to make in order to start your journey back up?
2: Um, yeah, maybe so. Um Listen, when I when I when I moved from Ipswich to Plymouth, if I'm being brutally honest with you, Plymouth was the only was the only option I had, so I had to go there. Royals. It was probably a case of going back to Ireland and going through. I was probably still young enough to maybe. You know, do a Shane Long or a Kevin Doyle, where you kind of come up through the the League of Ireland, and and you get bought to come back to England. So it was one of the two within, really. And um, I always had this kind of burning, you know, desire, and I still have it now, even though it probably is, is silly of me that I never want to be that lad who kind of failed in England, um, and and came back to 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 Cork to Bandon, and being that kind of nearly guy who who kind of never made it. So I always wanted to stay in England and and uh, I had to go to Plymouth, really, because, like I said, it was my only choice. You joined
0: uh, Argyle when Peter Reid was in charge. I, I know he wasn't there for too long, but obviously a famous name in English football, and the man who, who finally got you playing first-team football. What was your relationship with him, uh, as you've touched on there? I mean, the club was in such a such dire straits. I think at one point he was paying the heating bill as well.
2: Yeah, yeah, it, it, the place was in, it was in a mess, really. But, um, you know, Peter... The, to be honest, with you, the connection came through Peter Reed having that Sunderland connection. He rang the youth team manager at the time and the academy manager and kind of looked for a bit of advice and background checks on me or whatever you want to call it, and said, listen, we'll, we're going to bring him down for a trial. What do you reckon? And the two lads at Sunderland, um, luckily enough for me, gave me a good reference and away I went and um, he signed me. and. Yeah, Peter was a great guy. His brother was there at the time as well as assistant manager. And like you said, he wasn't there for too long. But um, obviously, I've got great thanks for Peter for, for, for taking that gamble on me.
0: Your first steps in senior football in terms of your position and your role within the team where were you playing what was that role
2: yeah it was it was centre midfield really from the off like i said there wasn't a huge amount of players there at the time so i was lucky i got chucked in first game of the season never forget it away to shrewsbury and we were losing one nil and carl fetcher scored a a fantastic goal actually with about a minute to go yeah just just played center mid really kind of trying to to learn as i went on game by game because obviously you know it, it was my um my first taste of first-team football, and yeah, I absolutely loved it. Um, I have huge fondness for, listen, I have huge fans for every league in, in the football league because I've played in all of them, but... League Two is a, is a great league as well, and there was a few times where I got kicked about, but it was all part of the trade, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it?
0: That's it's kind of one of the big benefits of talking to you. I wanted to ask about League Two, the style of play, and and what it was like as a challenge, especially as a young central midfield player. With the benefit of having played in all four leagues, it's obviously a, a lower level. But what do you remember about? the style about what what the tactical battles were, what things were easier and what was more maybe even more difficult.
2: Yeah, and do you know what it was League Two League and, and, and all the leagues but League Two is I don't like when people say, Oh, you know, it's 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 kind of lump it up front and, and get it up to the big striker. There's some good footballing teams in League Two. People tried to play the right way. Um, you know, at the time there was teams like Swindon who were really good, who got promoted, and you know, Matt Ritchie, kind of Aidan Flint were there at the time. yeah. Yeah, Palo de canio yeah, yeah. Oxford were down there at the time who got promoted another year when I was there. And it's a good footballing league. It was fantastic for me to learn my trade. Chesterfield were there at the time who got promoted as well. Um, it, it could have been one of the same years or a different year. And, and listen, I really liked it. I, I loved playing in League 2. Like I said, it was the first taste of my kind of first-team football. And um, yeah, listen, there's there's some tough challenges. The pitches sometimes aren't great in certain times of the year. But it's the same for everyone, and you try to adapt, and you try to, you know, make the most of it and make the most of the opportunity. Really, as you go along.
0: I love that we're talking about a time maybe eight, nine, ten years ago—not well quite ten, but eight or nine years ago—with so much water under the bridge since then, and you can still yeah. rat- rattle off the good teams in the league, the key players. You're yeah. obviously just a, a football obsessive.
2: Yeah, I'm. Listen, <laughs> I'm absolutely obsessed with the game. Um, I love, I love watching. You know, no whether I'm in the house on a Saturday night or if I'm out having a meal with my family or whatever, I'll always, that's why I know you two guys, because I've, I've, I um, I'm, I record Quest every Saturday night and I watch the goals from League 2 all the way up to the Championship, looking back on old teams who I've played for, old players who I've played against, see where they're at. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely obsessed with the game, really.
0: You were named captain, I think I'm right in saying, in your second season with Plymouth. So this is also your your second season ever as a senior pro. That strikes me as being a, a very, well, a seriously young age and quite a relatively inexperienced time to be named as captain. Looking back, uh, was that a good or a bad thing?
2: I suppose it was a great honour for myself, first and foremost. You know, Plymouth being, you know, a very good club. You know, to be named captain, Carl Fletcher, the manager at the time, made me captain. I was absolutely delighted with it. You know, Took me two seconds to accept this. You know, there was no kind of turning it away, and I want. It's it's probably made me the guy who I am now, really in a in a big way. You know that responsibility, that the professionalism, the standards I set myself all the time. Uh, I wanted to do that from the off when I was there, and and made captain, and I absolutely loved wearing the armband. You know, for Plymouth, it was a fantastic time. I can
0: imagine as you. Live these things, it's hard to reflect on it. But how do you remember your time in general with Argyle? They finished 21st, 21st, and mm-hmm. 10th in your three seasons yeah. there. You played under Reed, under Carl Fletcher, under John Sheridan as well. It yeah. certainly looks from the the stats like you really thrived under Sheridan. How how do you look back at that time?
2: Yeah, with huge fondness for the, for, for for Plymouth. You know, we were very very close at, at one stage to going out of business. As Brent James Brent, I think was it, was that correct? Bought the club when we we only had a couple of days to spare. I thought maybe I might be looking for a new club. You know, probably it doesn't read great kind of league finishes. Um, now that you remind me but you know we were going through terrible times administration we just stayed up the following year we tried to build on something um it probably wasn't to be and then 10th was a half decent finish up i suppose and i think the following year after that or was it a couple of years after that plymouth went on to get promotion so under under john sheridan was probably you know carl obviously gave me the captain's armband, band but under john i, I probably really found myself and, and found myself kind of adapting to the league and, and probably went on to a new level under John really, and him being a a top class a midfielder himself back in his playing days, he 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 kind of showed me a few kind of you know tricks and skills and and different passes along the way, um to help me along and to improve my game. So I definitely learned a lot under John.
0: You scored a a brilliant brace in your final game against Portsmouth for Plymouth. Yeah, uh, you you moved on that summer to Barnsley, your first taste, I suppose, of proper sort of transfer rumour and transfer sagas, it was in the end a, a bid of around 200 or 250,000 pounds which which guile more or less had to accept because you know your your value had, had got to the point where it was going to be hugely important for the club. Uh what what was that like to live? I mean you you're a captain of the club but you've done three seasons, you're an ambitious player. Like where was your head at during that?
2: Yeah, I listen I was captain of the club and I felt we were kind of building something at the club. Don't get me wrong, cuz we we'd finished 10th and a lot of the lads were kind of staying and not many left that summer, I don't think, as, as far as I can remember. But me being an ambitious lad, like you said, deep down I wanted to go really. It was, you know, hungry to get to the next level. I wasn't sure, obviously, if, if, if Plymouth was going to be that club to get me to the next level because obviously at the time I wasn't sure and I really wanted to make that move happen really Barnsley being another fantastic club and it was a bit surreal really because for someone back then I always thought for someone to be paid that money for me at the time now looking back it might be a great amount of money but at the time I, I felt like it was huge it was a bit it was hugely surreal really and um Something that uh, obviously I thank Barnsley for for doing and, and someone for a uh, uh, Plymouth for accepting as well. So it was great.
1: You moved as as you said to, to Barnsley in that summer of two thousand and fourteen. Were there any other options at the time, or was it always Barnsley who, who you were likely to move to?
2: No, there was no other options again. Um, I'm not sure that many clubs wanted me to, <laughs> throughout throughout my career. Um, no, it, it was it was. Ipswich to, to Plymouth was the only option and from Plymouth to Barnsley was my only option. There was no other option on the table, no other rumoured options and that was probably another reason why I wanted to jump at it and, and make it work. Uh, yeah, so Barnsley was my only kind of, my only option and it was one that I wanted to make.
1: They'd just been relegated from the Championship into League One and you say you were daunted by the price tag making the move. It didn't take you long to settle in. You scored three goals in August. You're a League One Player of the Month as well. Yeah. It's a bit of a dream start really.
2: Yeah, I hit the ground running. To be fair, um, I was delighted with how I started off. It was obviously it was a big step up for myself, you know, with, uh, with P- Barnsley playing that that money for me and going up to the next league into League One, more good players, more good footballing teams. But one that I always was determined and 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 kind of that uh, that the move would, would work. And um, yeah, I hit the ground running. I was hugely lucky. Like I said, I've been hugely lucky, really, with with Plymouth, Barnsley, and, and Villa, of course. With the clubs that I I've signed for because it was just the right club at the right time once again and it worked out.
1: Now Connor, let's talk about the 15-16 season with Barnsley. We've, we've, got, we've got to do this I've justice. Got a smile on,
2: I've got a smile on my face, yeah.
1: So have I. I mean it, it's one of the most remarkable seasons and campaigns for any EFL club in recent history. Yeah. You were at the heart of it. You've said already that you're a modest guy so I'm going to have to just tell the story a little bit before we talk about yeah. it. On, on the 28th of November, uh, Barnsley were bottom of League One under Lee Johnson. Uh, there was a game that I'm sure you remember on the 12th of December at Colchester where you opened the scoring. At this time, Barnsley still rooted to the bottom of the league. You opened the scoring. Uh, Barnsley take a 3-0 lead. Colchester get it back to 3-2. But Barnsley just about hold on. And that was the last game of the 15-16 season where you weren't wearing the captain's armband. After that, mm-hmm. the captain's armband was passed from Alfie Mawson to mm-hmm. you. There were thirty-one mm-hmm. more games in the season. Barnsley, with yourself ever present, won twenty, drew seven and lost just four getting into the playoffs. We'll talk about what happened later in a second. Yeah. But firstly, I mean, how would you explain that remarkable turnaround of form? Was it purely because suddenly they had Captain Fantastic running the show <laughs> in the middle nah. of the
2: park? No, definitely not. Do you know what? Um yeah, it, it's 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 strange to put into words, really. It was just an absolutely roller coaster of a season. Like you said, we were bottom of the league, you know, searching for results, searching for, you know, anything possible to try and get us going. Lee Johnson, obviously, was rumoured at the time to be heading to, to Bristol and and we kind of picked up form around the time where he got rumoured to be going to Bristol for whatever for whatever reason. And then Hecky came in and, yeah, the rest is history, really.
1: And under Paul Heckebottom, who, of course, came in after Lee Johnson left the club, you scored yeah. uh, nine goals and got 22 assists in 50 games under him. Reading up right. about the circumstances around this, Lee Johnson actually said in the summer before this season that he doubted whether or not you could play in the mm-hmm. middle of a four-man midfield in a four-four-two, which was the yeah. role that you ended up making your own under Paul Heckerbottom. Yeah. How much did those words spur you on to, to do what you did?
2: Yeah, listen, I'll, Yeah, I've always had... um this thing about me over my career if anyone writes me off or anyone tries to kind of say something about me negatively or in a way where I felt feel is wrong I always try and you know make that kind of into a fuel in, into my fire and, and, and all, all I want to do is prove them wrong it's a bit of a A thing that I've always had and I suppose another one of them where I wanted to prove him wrong that I was able to do that and um, yeah it's always a nice feeling when you kind of achieve something and prove that person wrong.
1: There are some anecdotes around from from fans of Barnsley who watched your kind of you mature as a player I guess during that Mm -hmm. season maybe when you got the armband as well saying that you went from being someone who obviously had a fantastic left foot and, and had a lot of quality to suddenly a bit of a bit of bite in your game, and maybe adding that yeah. kind of that desire that that we everyone who knows you as a player now knows that you have. Do, do you remember that being a, a time where you felt that as a centre midfielder, especially you, kind of came of age?
2: Yeah. No. Listen, when I first signed for Barnsley, if I'm being brutally honest with you, um, I don't think I was fancied too much by the fans. Um, I remember coming off against Chesterfield at home. We beat two nil, I think it was. I got cheered off. So that was another thing kind of early on in my Barnsley career. I thought, bloody hell, I need to, get, I need to liven up here. And uh, yeah, no, listen, it, it was just one of them where I managed to turn it around for myself as an individual and and to play a part in, in turning the team around as well. And we went from strength to strength. And um, yeah, I, listen, I've got huge, huge fondness for Barnsley. It's probably my favourite club I've ever played for. Like you said, we'll go on to the fond, the, the fan memories now that we'll probably mention in the next couple of minutes just, a, just an amazing time, really, an amazing season.
1: Yes, so on to two trips to Wembley at the end of that season in League One. Uh, one in the Johnson's Paint Trophy. I was at that game supporting the other side, Connor, so we won't talk about it for too long. And yeah. then a, a couple of weeks later um, against Millwall in the playoff final, mm-hmm. topping off what is just a remarkable rise from being bottom of the league in December to getting promotion at, at Wembley in May. Um, just you know, hand over the mic to you and just tell us about that unbelievable playoff campaign.
2: Yeah, it was um, it was amazing, really. Firstly, I think the the Johnson Payne Trophy final when we won that, going into the playoff final, I think there was a feeling in even leading up to it in the week, going down to London, it was like we've played here already, we've won here already, we're going to win again. It was just a, I felt going into that game that we were just going to win. There was no and and the run that we were on. the... the you know, for the second half of the season, I, I we, it was probably one of the only times in my career up until recently where I felt unbeatable. It was it was an amazing game. It was an amazing second half of the season. And uh, like I said, it, it just felt like we, we weren't going to lose that day um, after winning the Johnson's Ben Trophy. Because that kind of, you know, first time playing at Wembley for the majority of the squads, kind of getting over the nerves, really... Put us in good stead heading into the to the playoff final.
1: It didn't take you guys long to get ahead at Wembley either. Just two minutes for Ashley Fletcher to open the scoring. What do you remember about that day? What do you remember about your own performance at Wembley in that playoff final win against Millwall?
2: We got off to a terrific start. It's always great in the playoff to to get an early goal or in a, in any game really to settle the nerves. Or and we never looked back really. And then Adam Hamill scored an unbelievable goal ridiculous Um, goal yeah ridiculous and he he did it in the john spain trophy as well against Um, us too yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) so um he 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 he's kind of fondly remembered for them two goals definitely in my memory and we went from strength to strength in the game we played really really well they came back into it and then um Lloyd Isgrove who I was who I'm still good mates with hadn't scored all season and he was a big big part of our squad on and off the pitch funny character a great lad and I swung the ball in for him and, he, and smallest lad in the pitch got his first goal of the season and it was just meant to be that it was it, well, I couldn't believe he had scored a header from six yards out from a corner like I said it was just meant to be that season everything clicked everything just went the right way for us and um it was an amazing amazing season. We we celebrated both of them really really well really um in in the Barnsley town and in London. We went back to Barnsley town and and celebrated there as well. It was it was it was just terrific uh, an amazing time of my career.
0: Thanks to our good pals at beer52.com, you have the opportunity to sip eight delicious, painstakingly sourced craft beers from around the world. All you need to do is go to www beer52.com slash going and pay the postage of £4.95 and if that wasn't enough as a listener of the athletic podcasts you'll get two extra free beers so that's 10 free beers beer 52 are beer pioneers they travel the globe to find the best and most interesting beer from the very best craft breweries they are now the world's most popular craft beer discovery club each month, Beer52 deliver you a case with a different theme. So far, themes have included Germany, Korea, Belgium, South Africa, California, New Zealand, and many more. As an independent UK company, Beer52 are also passionate about the UK craft beer scene. The beauty of Beer52 is that you can leave anytime. The power is in your hands. Your case will also include the award-winning craft beer magazine, Ferment, and a beery snack is chucked in too. Just go to beer52.com forward slash going to get your case free. And don't forget, right now, going up, going down listeners, get two extra free beers.
1: With Lee Johnson jumping ship kind of in February, was there yeah. a feeling of wanting to kind of prove to, to him that he should have stuck around to see this through? Or, or we, is the, was kind <coughs> of a feeling amongst the squad just thankful for, for putting you guys together? um and
2: getting you to that stage no listen lee had to move to bristol listen bristol's his club um he was jumping up a league to to the championship so listen that move was just right for him and listen he's still there now and doing a terrific job so that move obviously worked out for him but as soon as hecky came in got huge huge you know fondness and, and praise and i can't speak highly enough of hecky he's um he was fantastic man, man management, down to a T. You know, was brilliant with all players. No one was on a higher mantle than anyone else. Everyone was the same. And I learned a lot from Hecky from that point of view. So, yeah, he, he, he was brilliant. And uh, like I said, it was just the right time um, and right job for Hecky as well at the time.
1: Any thoughts that Paul Heckenbottom got lucky taking over a side on the up, were quickly disposed with after such a good start to life in the championship as well, mm-hmm. the season after? Um, I think yeah. you were in eighth position at the end of January when you moved on, which we'll get to in a second, but uh-huh. w- were you surprised by how well the the club settled into life in the Championship or how you just managed to build on that momentum by by going so well in the early, in the early months of the season?
2: Yeah, probably I was a little bit surprised. Listen, again, it was my first taste of the Championship, so I, I was probably unaware of what to expect. Listen, the, the Championship is a fantastic league with, with loads of quality, loads of good players, and probably at that time, you know, there was people, uh, the Premier League was getting that big. There was players filtering down into the championship that I thought, "Wow, how are you playing here? You know what I mean? And for whatever reason, we just kind of built on the momentum that we, ha- we, we had from the second half of the season. My only big regret was leaving in eighth position and, and other lads leaving as well. What could we have done? What would we have went on to? Would we have went on to anything? Who knows? But that's always the one question mark that I always that I always have in my head. And and I, I would have loved to have unlocked this and, and found out, but listen, it wasn't to be.
1: Looking back at articles written in January 2017, uh, there was apparently a, a Barnsley fan group created a change.org petition to make it illegal for the club to sell Conor Harrahane. Uh, there was talk of a statue being erected or even the town hall being sold purely <laughs> to fund a new contract for you to stay at the club, I mean, hearing stories like that must, I mean, for yeah. any professional footballer to be held in that high regard, especially from what you said earlier about the fans initially taking a bit of time yeah. to warm, you, warm to you. It must just yeah. make you, just make it all worth it.
2: Yeah, a it, it, huge smile on my face standing, uh, sitting here, you know, at home, um, hearing you say it, all, all that kind of stuff. I've Listen, I've got huge, huge love, I would say, for, for Barnsley as, as a football club, as a, as, a, as a town. The success I had there to captain the club. You know, I've got nothing but high words to say about that football club. It's such a great club, a working man's town that just love loves the football club. it's 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 fantastic, and it's it's a club that I want to go back to in, in at some point in my career. I know they have this rule of they don't sign over twenty six or twenty five lads anymore. So I think in a few more years i might uh, I might be struggling to get back in there, but um it's somewhere that I would love to love to go back, whether it be as a player. Or as a coach, um, because yeah, it's something that I want. It's a club that I want to go back to at some stage.
0: How how did the transfer sort of process happen? When were you aware of the interest, and and initially were you like bang up for it, or did, did it take yeah. a bit of thinking?
2: Yeah, it, it was tough. You know, it was a compli- it was a it was a it was a tough stage. Um, if I'm being honest, with yeah, You know, I, uh, obviously the fondness of towards the club is is there for everyone to be seen. Um, you know, I was I was really close to Patrick at the time. God rest him you know I had many conversations with him about things there was a part of me who wanted to stay and see out my contract I, I probably if i'm being honest with you there was probably never a stage where i was going to sign a new contract but there was always a part of me wondering should i just stay till the end of the season and go on a free in the summer there were some other clubs who who said if they, if i saw my contract out they they'd want to sign me on a free in the summer and this was way back in probably december time it was it was it was Sheff- listen i've no problem saying it it was Sheffield wednesday and and fulham all the way until probably coming up to Christmas time. And I thought, I can't go to Sheffield Wednesday, no way. You know, I'd, I'd ruin the relationship I've got got with the club. Did I want to go down to London, to Fulham? I wasn't sure at the time. And then around Christmas time, Bruce and Villa came in and I thought, oh, I don't think I can turn down Villa. You know, you never know what can happen. If I stayed until the summer after, with six months to go of my contract, I could get injured, I could lose form. And Villa just felt like the right fit. It wasn't too far away from Sheffield. Where I was quite settled and and and, and loved the city live, living there, um, and I just felt like the right right club again, um, and to go to.
0: Obviously, you're still there, and we got plenty to to pick through in your your Aston Villa career so far. But to start with, I mean, they they signed a lot of players in that January. Uh, Scott Hogan giant joined, joined mm-hmm. from Brentford, and I think your first game. Uh, was the day that he moved from Brentford to Villa and yeah. Brentford played against Villa. George and yeah. I were actually there and it was a bizarre, right. it was a very strange sort of atmosphere in general with Hogan having yeah, yeah. swap clubs that day and Brentford basically blitzed Villa I remember an early yeah. chance for, for Villa but otherwise it was pretty one-sided and a 3-1 defeat the first five games you played for Villa were, were all defeats a, a mm-hmm. big change that January and the club still sort of adapting to life in the second tier having been a Premier League club for so long <clears throat> how tough was that the, the the first month it must have been fairly crazy yeah.
2: yeah it was It was pretty crazy to be honest I probably didn't realise at the time how big the football club was um, going from Barentsie to Villa I knew Villa was a big club but until I got here and played at Villa Park and played in front of the fans, it's it's just, it's such a big football club. It's it's huge. It wasn't easy the transition of players. You know, I was living in a hotel. I think with five or six other players. You know, and you don't really get that very often at clubs. You know, you might have one or two in the summertime. That um, you know, you may be living within a hotel, but there was about six at the time. Neil Taylor was there. Sam Johnson was there. Uh, the Icelandic Bjarnason was there. Scott Hogan was there. I was there um so it was a strange time the results weren't great to add add to you know to add to us um and we were kind of mid table trying to pick up a couple of results and we were probably building for the following season really which um you know, we'll probably get into in a little bit. But um, yeah, it wasn't easy to start in my Villa career, that's for sure.
0: What do you remember about your, your first full season uh, with Villa? Things settled a little bit after that first campaign back in the second tier for them and it was a a, yeah. a playoff campaign in the end, the first of two for you. Uh, under mm-hmm. Steve Bruce, beating Tony Pulis's borough 1-0 across two legs. That yeah, was yeah. that was pretty cagey.
2: <laughs> Exciting game, that one. <laughs>
0: wow. Yeah, not particularly, was it? I think it was a header from <laughs> a corner, wasn't it, in the first yeah, leg? Me-
2: yeah, Millie scored a header in the first leg yeah, after about 15 minutes. And um, we held on for, for a 1-0 win um, away to Middlesbrough, which was a great result. And then the game at Phillip Park, I, if I remember it rightly, it was, a, it was a rubbish game, if I'm being honest with you. Um, not much happened. That The one thing, Middlesbrough really made a fist of it and we were kind of settling for a, a nil-nil to get us into the final and um, luckily enough, we just got over the line really.
0: Interesting that you, you said earlier Fulham, Sheffield Wednesday had been sort of courting you uh, in yeah. the, at the end of your spell at Barnes. so You end up playing against this Fulham side under Jokanovic in the playoff final mm-hmm. and they'd been on just the most incredible run in the second yeah, half of the season. Yeah. Uh, what was that game like? What do you remember? Because, you know, it wasn't like they absolutely blitzed you by by any means, no. but uh, never quite, never quite hit top gear. It felt on the day.
2: Yeah, yeah, you're probably right, yeah. And um, they probably had a second half of the seasons like like I had at Barnsley. They everything just went from they went on a fantastic run. And to be honest with you, you know, it was uh, we were fearful of 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 Fulham going into the final. Probably too fearful, if I'm being honest with you. You know, they had a they had a very good footballing side and um, played really really good stuff. And we always felt like it was going to be a tough day, but like you said we probably didn't hit top gear we only probably kind of made a fist of it in the second half when they probably went down to 10 men with about 25 minutes to go and we kind of pushed on and and tried to get an equalizer but listen they probably deserved to go up over the course of their second half of the season run they were better the better team on the day as well they they had some very good players and you know like i said played some very good stuff so nah listen they probably deserved to go up really uh,
0: in terms of your emotions on that day we've discussed that ever since you arrived at argyle yeah. generally Things had moved upwards, yeah. the, the teams that you played for yeah, had yeah. improved, you yourself had improved with them and become key parts of teams and then moved up to League One, to the Championship, winning uh-huh. winning at Wembley twice with Barnsley. Uh, what did it feel like to to lose at Wembley?
2: Yeah, it was the first kind of big game I'd lost in my career and it was really tough really. I Actually, um, I came off with 10 minutes to go, I, I'd done my media ligaments, a ball fell to me with about 10 minutes to go and in around the box and I, I tried to put my foot through it and Ollie would actually block tackle me and I went off a couple of minutes later. So that was kind of more frustration with the final. We probably knew going into the final, Aston Villa, that it was a huge game for us. Financially, we probably needed to win. We, were, we knew if we'd lost that, that the, the club were probably in a little bit of trouble. So that probably added to our pressure and added to our disappointment. We knew that people like, you know, JT would probably not sign again. Snoddy would go back to West Ham. Sam Johnson would move on. Graven would go, would leave, so we knew that it was going to be a tough rebuilding stage at that time. So there was loads of different kind of feelings, which made it tougher to take losing that game.
0: Yeah, thankfully the club was saved somewhat uh, off the yeah. field in the summer, so it, it wasn't as disastrous as it could have been. And mm-hmm. now we're on to to the start of last season. Steve Bruce is in charge for the first part of the campaign. Uh, when he mm-hmm. leaves. Dean Smith comes in from from Brentford. At that stage, you've probably played against a Dean Smith Walsall team. You've definitely played yeah, against a Dean Brentford Smith team. Brentford team. What do you remember about your feelings when Dean uh, was appointed?
2: Yeah, delighted, of course. Listen, uh, one of the one of the teams I hated playing against, and and still do now to this day. And Dean's not even there. I hate playing away at the Brentford. <laughs> I uh, for whatever reason I get battered there every time and for some reason a lot of players say the same thing away to Brentford you think oh no not not today so it, it, he's, a, he's, a, he's a manager that I've always kind of admired the way he played knew he was a, a good football man like I said style of play would probably I knew it would suit me um, so I was really really excited and it was a great fit for Dean at the time obviously being a villa man so it, i think it was a great appointment wow,
0: things definitely clicked and in the second half of the season absolutely flying up the table yeah. what does it feel like to play for a team that wins 10 league games in a row
2: yeah it was it was amazing um it was something that i touched on earlier earlier it's probably Barnsley's second half of the season and that kind of 10 game run It's probably the only two times in my career where I thought we're not going to lose today. No chance. It was amazing to to win 10 games in a row in in the championship in such a tough league. Um, is is a great achievement. Something that I'm I'm delighted that I was there to be a part of. And um, yeah, just going into every game, I just felt like we're not going to lose today. And it's great feeling to have,
0: as well as the the general theme of sort of progression from the minute that you uh, joined Plymouth, one of the other mm-hmm. themes of your career has been sort of adapting to play different midfield roles. You know, always yeah. playing as a, nominally a central midfield player, but as we know, there's, yeah. there's plenty of different roles and responsibilities within that. Uh, at times with Villa, you were, had the responsibility of scoring goals. Uh, and yeah. then as things clicked, it, it kind of felt like uh, as things sort of shook out, your role was at, at the base of midfield. Was that Was that something new for you?
2: Yeah, it probably was. It was a case of Jack and and, and John and myself had a great relationship on and off the field. You know, Jack being the player he is, being such a good footballer, was always going to play in an advanced role. John McGinn, the same, probably wouldn't have been suited to a six with the kind of qualities that he has. So there became an opportunity for myself to play at the base. And there's not probably too many managers and kind of styles of play that will probably suit me playing as a six because I'm not an original six. But Dean being a passing man and a and a football man, it probably made it easier for me to slip into that role. Um, and with such quality around me, like Jack and John, as well, um, it made it made it much easier for me to play that role.
0: What's it like being teammate of someone like Jack Grealish with the quality that he has?
2: Yeah, listen, where do I start with Jack? What a footballer! Um, quality, absolute through the roof. Um, he's got this just God gift ability that not many players have he's he's just so good on the football it's so hard to get the ball off him in games to have him on your side really is is a pleasure because some of the things he does is is amazing you know and um it's one of them players that I look back and and say listen I was very fortunate to play with Jack because he's, he's he's just so so good and he'll go on to Whatever he wants to do, really.
0: You're obviously um, a strong character, and you found your role within this team. But when you head into the playoffs, there's a semi-final game against West Brom. It's a it's a big yeah. game for a number of yeah, reasons. Yeah. Um, but you didn't start that game. What yeah. was what was your mindset sitting on the bench to start that game?
2: Yeah, I was hugely disappointed. Obviously, you know, I felt like I had a big, uh, I played a big part in getting the kind of the team to where they were, um, especially in the second half of the season. I'm not sure i I'm not sure why. Listen, it was just a decision the Gaffer went for at the time. Maybe he you know, West Brom were a good side and, and they had some good attacking players and maybe he wanted it that bit more of a a kind of a sitter and natural sitter in, in Glen at the time and I had to suck it up really and get on with it. And lo and behold, I suppose. <laughs> I'm
0: teeing you up in the same way that your good friend and colleague, Jack Grealish, teed you up yeah. to score well, what my Aston Villa supporting mate uh, calls one of the most important goals in Villa's modern history and his favourite yeah. ever goal oh. at Villa Park. <laughs> I mean, what an incredible moment.
2: Yeah, it was amazing right up there in in, in the goals I've enjoyed scoring most in my career, without a doubt. It, it was, it, do you know what? It was one of them where it, it looks... Like a terrific goal, but it was just pure frustration of not starting the game. I just wanted to absolutely volley it as hard as I could. And luckily enough for me, it went in the top corner. If it went in the second tier on the halt, then I wouldn't have cared. But luckily enough for me, it was just one of the moments that I look back on and I think, wow, what a goal. The, The roof just lifted the atmosphere after was was, you know, hairs in the back of the neck stuff. It was it was amazing.
0: Heading to the final against Derby, no such frustration like you had against Fulham the year before. What do you mm-hmm. remember about that game? You're getting quite used to Wembley at this stage yeah. and playoff football. And this game, as far as I remember, it kind of ended up being a little bit more comfortable than you kind of expect championship playoff finals to be
2: yeah i suppose um going in watching the semi-finals obviously we played before derby and leeds and yeah, without sound, without sounding too kind of you know disrespectful to derby but as soon as derby won that final we we were so we were chuffed we were delighted because leeds were a really good side they play with energy they play with intensity they passed the ball about really well they would have you know, there was or a couple of months before that, we had that kind of big scrap of a game where, you know, that big um, scenario happened where they let us score a goal. So there would have been a huge amount of, you know, media going into that game and people talking about, you know, the previous game and then the playoff final. So when Derby won that game, first and foremost, I was surprised because I didn't expect them to win it. But listen... We fancied ourselves going into that game against Derby. We never thought that we would lose. And that's no disrespect to Derby, I suppose. But when Derby won that semi-final, we were quietly pleased, really.
0: That day when promotion was confirmed, when you were confirmed as being a Premier League player, I want to know, at that time, there's obviously incredible celebrations. At mm-hmm. Do you spend any time reflecting on the journey on the last decade or so, or are you just absolutely on one?
2: Yeah, I was just on a mental one that day, if I'm being honest. I I couldn't believe it. You know, like I said, the whole emotion of it, the whole journey to be able to call myself a Premier League footballer was something I've always dreamed of and worked so hard for. I shed a tear, if I'm being honest with you, quietly, um, away from everyone. Um, It was just so emotional. Um, The playoff final is such an amazing, tense game. I've experienced a couple of victories in them and I've experienced, obviously, a loss. And when you win one there's no feeling like it is it, i know people say it's the best way to go up feeling wise it is but obviously listen if you can get in the top 2 earlier and have a month off extra i wouldn't say no to that either but it's it's an amazing game it's it's a unique game in football and when you come out the right side of it it's it's such an amazing feeling a
0: couple of years in league 2 a couple in league 1 and a couple in the championship and now you're a premier league player as we talked to uh, Connor yeah. on, on this podcast um want to ask you about that that move up to the Premier League. Kind of similar vibe to how the whole podcast has been. What have been the main things that you've noticed in terms of the football itself moving up from the champ to the Premier League?
2: Probably just a, a, a similar to every league I've probably bounced up from. Um, more quality and, and better teams, basically. The quality in the Premier League is, is so, so high you know, the best league in the world, you know, it's been a, a roller coaster season again for myself and for the team, we're probably, we're in a position where we don't want to be, but uh, to be involved in the Premier League in a full campaign has been amazing and um, I've tried to enjoy it as best as I can because, listen, I've, I've worked a lot uh, tirelessly and, and over the years so hard to get there, but when you tr- when you get there, then you, all you want to do is, is win every game and it's an emotional roller coaster. but I've tried to enjoy it and take in as much as I can because you know, who knows how long I'll be in the Premier League for, or if I'll be back again if we get relegated or whatever. You know,
0: we've heard all about the journey, Conan, and as mentioned at the top of the show, it's it's such a fascinating thing for us as fans, and I dare say for a lot of players as well to yeah. hear uh, a footballing life like you've had, and to to hear some of the the memories, the stories, and it'd be also great to get some reflections on the journey in general. I mean, you've done plenty of that throughout mm-hmm. the pod, um, but. I've got to bring up one thing. You, you've touched yeah. on it a few times that you are someone who, uh, as the kids might say, is, is fueled by haters. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's it's not something that you, you you necessarily shrug off. You've got this sort of storage facility in your brain for for people who maybe haven't necessarily. I know. I think uh, I might know what's coming. Haven't necessarily. <laughs> I think you probably do. Um, August the eleventh, twenty nineteen. Uh, Conor Harahan is a, a Premier League player confirmed played in a Premier League game the name Craig Taylor is is instantly in your mind this is bizarre <laughs> Good <old> buddy Craig <laughs> bizarrely I still can't believe this I need to hear from you about this uh, to give the listeners some context Craig had tweeted Conor uh, in January 2014 so five and a half years previously and he basically Conor had said in an interview as a Plymouth player that his dream was to play in the Premier League. And Craig said, good article, mate. You're Argyle's best player, no danger. But the Premier League, there's ambitions and then there's reality. Now, uh, uh,
2: in August... <laughs> not, a big, not a big smile, but I think this is the biggest one of the day.
1: <laughs>
0: I just love this because it's, I mean, it's, and I don't mean this in a in a rude way. It's just unbelievably petty and I love this. You, <laughs> you then you found the screenshot i don't know how you found the screenshot but you found the screenshot you you tweeted saying hi craig i remember this tweet from 2014 uh, i have remembered it to this day never tell anyone they can't achieve something i mean ha- had you lined that up <laughs> did you have that saved like do you have a reminder on your um, phone to remind you
2: like how does that happen <laughs> Do you know what? I, w- I was playing for Plymouth at the time, obviously, and I remember the interview and I, I just remember the tweet. And I always, for, for whatever reason, people might say it's crazy, it's weird, it's amazing, whatever you people might say about it. I just said, I'm going to tweet that guy when I, when I play in the Premier League. Uh, and I've always stored it. It's just one of them things at that time, at that moment. And do you know what? It, you'll think I'm crazy, but you, as you might guess, I'm obsessed with football. And in the summertime when I was away with my missus uh, on holidays and I said to her, when I I wasn't with her back then because it was probably five, six years before. I said, there's this guy who, who's tweeted me and I'm going to tweet him as soon as I make my debut in the Premier League. And my missus went, my missus went, would you leave? Don't even start. I don't even <laughs> want to hear the story, you know what I mean? Um, and I said, no, I'm telling you, I am. I'm going to do it. Um, and I made my debut first game of the, of, the, of the season. And you know what? The night before the, my debut against Spurs... I thought to myself, I'm going to find this tweet. And I was in my hotel room. I was in my hotel room, no word of a lie. And I, I found it, I screenshotted it, and I had it ready. And whether we got beat 20 nil against Spurs or if we won one nil, I was tweeting it the next day. And I, I absolutely loved every second of it, I'm not going to
0: lie. <laughs> you always knew from the moment you saw it that you, would, that you would do what you did, which means you always knew or you always thought that you yeah. would play in the Premier League, even when you you signed for plymouth argyle on a free a, a club uh, in financial difficulties towards the bottom yeah. of league 2
2: listen uh, I, I'm the type of guy I'm just I'm, I'm I'm one of them I'm so determined I'm so ambitious you know I'm one of these guys who works tirelessly every single day and I was going to try my absolute utmost from league 2 to get to the premier league and I wasn't going to stop without trying um and giving it everything and whether I thought you know I would do it or whether I thought I I wouldn't the only thing that's really got me there is is just pure hard work. Yes, listen, I might be able to, you know, play a little bit of football or whatever, but it's just been pure hard work, determination. And it's something that I've always, always just had fully focused on, made huge sacrifices and, like I said, it, it, it's worked out for me and I, I'm, I'm delighted to be able to say that you know, the hard work pays off really.
0: There'll be hopefully some people listening who might be in a similar position to, to where you were, Yeah, let, let's say 19, 20 years old and mm-hmm. you know, having a, a tough start to a professional career. It might not even be football. It, it could be really any yeah, walk of life. It light.
2: could be anything, yeah, without a doubt.
0: When you talk about huge sacrifices that you've made. Uh, everyone mm-hmm. has to make sacrifices at different times. I- I'm interested to yeah. know w- what you think the, the key sacrifices are to-, to be a footballer and to really put your head down and grind it out for the better part of a decade.
2: To be honest with you, listen, there's ups, downs, bumps on the roads. I'm, I'm, I'm the type of guy that whatever comes my way, I've just had this kind of ability to shrug it off and keep going. Whether it's get beat, have a poor performance, go through a bad patch, mentally strong really is probably what uh, one of the traits I've had. Whatever comes my way, whatever people write about me or opinions that I'm not good enough or whatever, I always just seem to keep my head down, shrug it off and keep working hard, keep believing in myself. And that mental strength and mental ability to just keep going every day, no matter what, is probably my the biggest strength for myself anyway and, and for any other player kind of down in the lower leagues or whatever walk of life, you know, it's whatever you want to do in life, you know, make it happen whatever, whatever way, shape or form you can.
0: From an on-pitch perspective, the the strong mentality and the psychology underpins everything that you do as a footballer. In terms mm. of improving as a player, let's say yeah. as a central midfield player, but whatever the position mm. may be, from League
2: Two to the Premier League,
0: what are we talking? Like, improvement technically? Uh, physically? Yeah,
2: well, I'm not, listen, I'm not the strongest or I'm not the quickest player, that's for sure, you know. So I've, I've probably had to analyse my game and recognise my strengths and to work on my strengths to make them even better. That's that's the road I've gone down anyway. And listen, it's worked for me, you know, um technically okay, can strike a ball at my left foot, take a decent set piece and I've worked tirelessly on them kind of factors to, to make a career for myself. Um when I was at Plymouth I used to go in on my days off, drag a coach in, uh, s- sacrifice so so much especially in my early days probably as i've got older now i know how to manage my body and you know when you're getting that little bit older you can't you know going on your days off as much because your body needs that day off or whatever but in my early days at plymouth i don't think i probably had a day off for for three three years because i just wanted to you know whether it was hitting a ball off the wall or taking a set piece or having a shot on goal or passes or long short pass long passes short passes like i said not having that kind of shyness to drag a coach in or to use a a youth team player after a game whatever it may be i was just first on the pitch last off the pitch every single day
0: strong mentality obsessed about football you've played Mm -hmm. in the top four tiers of english football for a number of different managers in a number of different styles uh you've been a captain and a central midfield player a lot of these things just uh-huh. sc- scream a future as a, a manager I, I, I know it's a long way <laughs> off you you're, only, that? Yeah. you're only 29 but is that the plan
2: yeah, yeah without a doubt really really want to become a coach and a manager i was going to do my um i've done my my level one and two with um my apprenticeship in um in sunderland so i've kind of ticked them off i was going to um start my b in the summer with the fai but um unfortunately with what's happening in the world I don't think that will probably go ahead now and I'll have to wait a little bit of time to start them up um but it's something I'll definitely definitely do without a doubt you know I've got ambitions to do that the more I kind of move on in my career and I'm sure that will come but yeah it's definitely something I want to do definitely because like I said and like we spoke about a few times over the podcast I'm obsessed with the game I love the game and it's something that you know when I finish I still want to be involved in
0: well, you need a, a strong mentality, plenty of stamina to do 90 minutes in the Premier League, but a fair amount of stamina, I think, to be asked quite so many questions about your life, your <laughs> career, your mentality, your opinion. So we're so appreciative of no you problem. giving us the time, Connor, and, and hopefully uh, you've enjoyed it and got something out of it too.
2: No, listen, it's been a pleasure, and, and thanks for having me on. And listen, if ever the opportunity comes again, I'd be more than happy to come on. So thanks for that.
1: Thank you very much to Connor Harrihan for his openness in helping us tell a remarkable first story on EFL Completed. This is the first episode, part of the Going Up, Going Down podcast by The Athletic.
0: We've got an unbelievable list of names that we're targeting to speak to on this series. If you know of someone who has played League Two, League One, Championship, and then reached the Premier League, tweet us at NTT20Pod. We will try to get them on and let them tell us their story. Make sure you subscribe to this Going Up, Going Down podcast feed so that you don't miss out on any future episodes. And sign up to The Athletic today. Get 40% off your annual subscription by heading to theathletic.co.uk forward slash EFLpod.